0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 141. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and with me this week is my usual semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zega Financial, Jay Pestercelli. Jay, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, Derek. Doing well, doing well. Uh, we're recording this on a Friday, and it's a, a Friday I was looking forward to. Ready for the weekend, my friend.
0: Yeah. it's. I feel like there's been a lot of stuff going on in the markets Recently, it's been busier, you know, after a lot of a kind of a, a really benign summer. Um, and by the way, you know, I know you were doing a little traveling this week. I think you missed the big. Uh, did you see the Nasim Taleb, the big news on uh, on CNBC? You know, I, I think I caught the tail end of
1: it no pun intended, in uh, my hotel room. Uh, I can't remember where I was, but I remember seeing him on TV. I do like to watch him uh, speak. Really intelligent guy. I think he's probably better not in a TV interview, but uh, he does have a lot of interesting insights when it comes to managing risk.
0: You know, let, let's get into what he said, because I think it's worth talking about. So he he called Bitcoin a bubble uh, without aesthetics. And uh, I'll read his tweet. He said, let me repeat it to those unable to get it. I'm not bearish on Bitcoin. It is a tulip bubble without the aesthetics and disguised as a currency. Hence, it is as irrational to buy as it is to short, perhaps even more. Um, Now, he, of course, is the author of the Black Swan book. And, you know, look, I mean, I I have um, I won't call them disagreements. I, I have different opinions than him on some stuff. Um, I've been a little bit more of a Bitcoin skeptic, but calling it a bubble, the tulip bubble, I mean in our industry, that that's about as bubbleish as you could get, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh for those of you that don't know what the tulip story is, was it the seventeen hundreds and the it was the price that 1400s, people were willing? I think. 1400s,
0: 14 to bucks yeah the Dutch. It's, right? it's,
1: it was a long time ago before both of us were born i know we're old but not even close to that hold and it was right it was the price that people were willing to pay for tulip bulbs uh, so that their property could look nice i guess it's, is it is it the dutch is it uh, Denmark where do they love the tulips now, now i'm embarrassed i don't know where
0: no it was, it was dutch because they were guilders. it was priced in guilders, which is dutch oh. i believe yeah, but where uh, so is no, the that's dutch right.
1: Where are the Dutch, right? Isn't that, uh, that's the Netherlands, right? The Dutch or Netherlands? Correct. Yeah. Okay. I should know that because I, uh, I go to a Netherland province every year down in the Caribbean. So, right, the Dutch. Got it. So anyway, there was this huge spike in prices on tulip bulbs, and it immediately crashed when people started realizing that tulip bulbs shouldn't cost as much as, you know, what you spend on food for the year. Right, those kinds of things. So that that is kind of the quintessential bubble that uh, that everybody always compares to as the most irrational bubble. But and he and I think uh, Talib's comments are saying it's just as irrational as the tulip bubble. Is that what he's saying here?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, he he basically says it's. Uh, I I don't want to misquote him, but I, I feel like in the past he's called it a, a little bit of a fraud, a, a, a giant Ponzi scheme. Um And the tulip bubble, you know, definitely recently it's been the tulip bubble. I mean, he, his, okay, so he, here's where I, I definitely agree with him. On. And I want to separate, there's two different things between what Bitcoin is and isn't. And there's the question, is it a currency? And then secondarily, uh, is it just an asset? And then third, I guess thirdly, thirdly, that's not really a word. Third is is price irrational? Like, so I think the in the first point, Jay, I agree with them. I mean, I, I I think it's not really a currency.
1: It's not a currency. I agree too. You're right. I don't think it's a currency either. I mean, yes, you can pay for things with it, but it's <laughs> the El Salvadoran government is telling you it's a currency. But I don't think it's proven itself to be a currency yet.
0: I mean, it, it, in a currency, right? It, it just you have to have a medium exchange. Um, I mean, the whole idea with currencies—we've we've talked about this before—is you know they solve the problem of hey, let me drag this boulder of a of a, a piece of gold around and go walk two miles to get a loaf of bread. I'm going to chip off a little bit of the the piece of gold to pay for the bread. Um, you know, currencies, but it, it's not it's not a currency in my mind because number one and he makes this point, you still have to convert it into something else. And he makes the point further. He said, if, if Bitcoin's a currency, why is an Apple stock a currency? And meaning, Hey, if I have Apple stock, um, it's not like I can pay for things in Apple stock. I, I have to sell my Apple stock first and then, uh, go into it. So, I mean, I, I think he's right there. And I think it's,
1: I'm going to push just a little back on you there, only because there are some companies that now will accept cryptocurrency as a means of payment for their services and their goods. There's not a lot of them, right? But there's some of them that will take a cryptocurrency as a means of compensation. And Bitcoin is obviously a cryptocurrency. So I think generally speaking, you're absolutely right. And your loaf of bread example is great, right? Because if Bitcoin drops in half, you're you didn't. You don't have to pay. You know, have as much for a loaf of bread. It's still you know denominated in dollars, right? So, yes, I think in general you're right. But there, there are some scenarios, dark, where you don't have to convert it and you can purchase something from a company using, using Bitcoin. But that's on a company by company basis, right? That's just their choice, right? I think what professional baseball team said they'll now allow you to buy season tickets with Bitcoin um, might have been the Astros. I don't know if that had anything to do with the, uh, <laughs> with the World Series, but uh, I do. So I do think there are ways that you can do that.
0: Okay. So, but does that make the tokens at uh, Dave and Buster's a currency? I take my son there, I, I put my dollars in the machine, and then I have these tokens. So does that mean that I, I could take those, those tokens and now it's a currency? Those aren't a currency.
1: They're not. They don't have any value except at Dave & Buster's, I guess, and you could do something. But if you could buy a Tesla with Bitcoin, you have a car when you're done, right? So I don't know, right? If I bought two Bitcoins a few years ago and now it's worth $120,000, I could give them my two Bitcoins and they'll give me a car.
0: All right. So then the other point he made was about volatility. And I think this is an important thing to discuss, Um by the way, before I, I lose the train of thought, I always think of Holland when I think of the Dutch, but it's part of the Netherlands, right? Um, we do have listeners in in that part of the world, so
1: I know. And no offense to anybody there, but I think we got it right. We did say the Netherlands.
0: They do have a, a, a heck of a, a, a football. Uh, I'll say football, but soccer team. By the way, anyway, uh, the three people who are listening have just all tuned off. So let's tr- quickly transition. Don't leave. Correct to us. Send Derek <laughs> an email. He wants to hear from you. <laughs> but uh, the volatility, and I think his point on volatility, like how could you how could you actually like go buy a car and feel good about it, and then it's up 50% from the Bitcoin that you just spent or vice versa? And I think that's the thing too. I mean, it, there's just too much volatility for you to actually okay, I'm going to keep my life savings in Bitcoin, irregardless of whether it's going up or down, um, because it's stable and you know there's too much volatility in it.
1: No doubt about it. There's, there's, I haven't seen an asset class with more volatility than, uh, than crypto and Bitcoin uh, in particular. You're absolutely right about this. It's very volatile. It's not stable. I think it's a reason why it's not a reliable form of capital transactions
0: yeah I mean, the other point he made, so here here's the thing too. I would say, in my mind, it's not really a currency, and i I just think it's an asset, and it it's um and I say asset in quotes because beanie babies are an asset, and baseball cards were an asset. and certainly, you know those went through bubbles. I'm not saying I don't have an opinion necessarily on the price of of Bitcoin or anything else, uh, as you and I have talked about. I own, and so do you, a very small percent of my overall portfolio in those. But I just think it's, uh, you know, to say it's it's a currency. I mean, it's just like anything else. It it, it'll go up if more people, more marginal buyers, come in than sellers, and if more people sell than buy, it goes down. Uh, Where I think it gets interesting, though, is this idea, and and here's I'll push back again, that it's it's something of a hedge, and he made this point as well. Um, I think it's way too early to say it's a hedge against inflation. I mean, it's it it hasn't been around the block yet, um, and its volatility makes it problematic as a hedge against anything else.
1: Yeah, no, listen, I think you're, you're let's so let's debunk. Even though I gave some supporting points, let's debunk the whole currency thing. It's not a currency. I know. It is uh, starting to become a means of transfer of wealth or value right And I was I wasn't joking when I said El Salvador is now I think approved it as uh, as an official means of transferring uh, uh, transferring transferring wealth transferring assets right I think they gave you know everybody in the country got you know given a, a you know an account with you know thirty dollars worth of Bitcoin in it. And said, "Okay, now you can use this if you want to go to the grocery store or whatever you want to do, use this to buy it. And now you can transact that way. It's easier than moving money around, you know, with normal means. And what we, I didn't realize this till I heard the discussion about it, I guess there's four million people in El Salvador. Um, Only a million of them, a million plus have bank accounts, but three million of them opened up this crypto account that they were given by the government and started using it. And so when it comes to. You know, a way of you know transferring value. It certainly seems like it's more adoptable. Uh, and it certainly seems easier because you just open your phone and you got it, right? and And I know our banking industry is a little archaic in some ways, and there's a lot of reasons why you want to have you know validation and verification, who's on a banking account, all those kinds of great things. But when you look at you know third world countries adopting this type of a vehicle, as a means of transaction, transacting day to day activity, there's, it's you, you can't you can't say there's no value there in that aspect, right? Maybe not in the way that we think about a traditional investment or traditional currency, but there is value to certain parts of this world that it helps you kind of jumpstart uh, and get caught up to the rest of the world. You know, I'll use another example um, when China was rolling out its uh, uh, its, its cell service decades ago. Right, they didn't go and you know lay lines and uh, their telecom service and lay lines across the whole country and bury lines or on telephone lines. They just put up a bunch of cell towers and skipped the whole hardwire uh, telephone line part. Right, they just went right to the end to answer. And so, because they had so much catching up to do, and so this seems very much the same thing when it comes to transacting, uh, making financial transactions. And so, while we can you know talk about it as you know this at trading asset there are some uses across the world but i think we'll see more adoption than in the more developed nations which is a little backwards
0: yeah i mean i the interesting thing about the el salvadorian uh experiment i'll call it is so what happens if there is a material drop in the value of crypto and their purchasing power goes way down like what what does that mean long term i don't know and And by the way, you know, just because a country doesn't have to <laughs> actually have their own currency. There are countries who use the dollar you You don't have to i mean we we could tomorrow say we're not going to use dollars anymore we're going to use uh you know Malaysian rigets if we wanted to but yeah i think it's I think it is interesting but by the way, by and large, though, the people who said bitcoin was was ridiculous and is going away those people have been wrong because despite all of this, it's been around for a while now. And as you've just laid out, there are countries who are adopting it. And so there might be something there, regardless of what anybody thinks.
1: I'm glad to hear you're willing to concede there might be something there to this crypto thing. <laughs> That's great, Derek. That's It's a step in the right direction, I believe.
0: When we think about hedging, though, Jay, I mean, it's, to me, I mean, look, um, hedging, not every hedge, as we know has, you know, you could have, I hope this works hedges and you could have hedges with legitimate or let's say the ability to actually, you know, put a floor in a portfolio. To me, having Bitcoin or owning, I mean, it's just like owning bonds or owning anything else. You're hoping that it works and it's not unlike, I mean, look, sixty forty is hoping that there's no guarantee that Bonds and stocks don't go down in the same year. Historically, bonds have gone up when stocks have gone down. So, but I think as a hedge, it's way too early and way too volatile. I don't.
1: Yeah, th- agreed. It's it's. I don't think it should be considered that it hasn't. A has itself to be that. B. It seems to march to its own drum. It, there's there's. I mean, a perfect example is there's so much headline risk, up or down, when it comes to Bitcoin that you know you can't count on right I you know it's now illegal to own hold or mine bitcoin in china i believe guess what that was a bad week for bitcoin when that came out right cuz there were more miners in china than anywhere else they said you can't even have this now it's illegal to have it you got to get rid of it all so that's not great that is that is you know obviously it's not great for bitcoin but that is like the, when you have that kind of risk within your asset class and that's your hedge it's a huge mistake yes bonds have risk when it comes to what the fed is doing right but you know there's a ton of volume and a ton of positions that are you know that are put on in stocks and bonds or even real estate right that you know no one single headline will break that asset class right crypto carries absolutely carries this headline risk that's really kind of uncommon to anything else
0: the other thing i'll I'll ask and, and i've been thinking about this recently jay and it's the idea of the whole You know, everyone says, well, you know, okay, maybe it's not a currency, but it's something, Um, just an asset that will go up or down based upon supply and demand, like anything else. But then the idea that, you know, blockchain is really where it's at. And I had somebody ask me a question. They said, Derek, I know the whole theory. I should be using Bitcoin and we should be using blockchain because then I can go back on a ledger. And the guy said to me, somebody can do that, but I can't. Like, what is the utility or the value? of blockchain to to the general person that's out there. And it, it is an interesting comment. Like, I have a, uh, a, you know, a small amount of crypto. And I know in theory, like, I can go and look at some blockchain. I don't know how to do that. So I don't know. Maybe that's the value of that is overstated as yet. Uh, maybe I'm wrong there, though, Jay.
1: Yeah, I, I listen, the, the blockchain is... You know, the real utility and the crypto tokens are, you know, the payment for getting uh, um, uh, a dispersed support of it. Right. If Bitcoin, you know, went to went down to, you know, a dollar or ten dollars, you would see a lot of people turn off their servers that are currently getting paid to maintain the blockchain. Right. Uh, Bitcoin is obviously so big now that that's, you know, that's probably not going to happen. But, um, you know, in other cryptos and other blockchains, it's it's one of those things that, you know, that's your compensation. Right. You get paid these tokens for leaving your computer on and letting it being used as part of the distributed data uh, source. And so, you know, I listen, I do believe there's real utility there. It isn't mature enough to handle any serious part of our economy. But. You know, I could see that um, uh, you can use blockchain for some fine tracking of some financial transactions. Real estate is a good one, right? There's not so many real estate transactions that blockchain can't handle. Blockchain can't handle stock trading yet. Blockchain can't handle, uh, you know, bond trading, anything like that that has so much activity. But it's not like everybody's buying and selling, you know, a house intraday, right? That's not the way it works. And so you could start to keep records it's an easier way of keeping records uh, uh, than, you know, traditional, you know, uh, storage of uh, deeds and titles. So, like, it just might be a better way to start to be integrated into that. But you, if you want to be somebody that wants to be a part of whatever blockchain that is, yeah, it's going to cost you time and money, and hopefully you get paid back by the cryptocurrency that ends up, you know, coming your way when you open up that account and do the support. So it's just a payment method, which is why there's some inherent. Value. I don't know what that number is. It's, you know, there's a point where there's a catastrophic decline uh, in the value of that support that causes people to just leave, right? There can be a mass exodus when it comes to supporting that. And then, you know, that opens up all sorts of questions that, okay, what's the long-term security here? But back to the whole blockchain, the concept and the utility of the blockchain, I absolutely think has value. It's, you know, uh, uh, distributed data, record-keeping and that should make things faster and it should make it harder for fraud to be uh, enacted, especially when you have large volume like Ethereum and, and Bitcoin.
0: The other thing I think you mentioned it on one of your media appearances uh, this week or last week was the idea that volatility is being impacted by crypto in an indirect way. And that's because uh, I think you mentioned this, Jay, maybe on Bloomberg uh, or somewhere else that some companies are converting uh, their cash to cryptos. And so in an indirect way, it already is seeping into the S&P on a small level as of yet, right? Uh,
1: absolutely. And I don't, uh, Tesla holds Bitcoin on their, on their balance sheet. Micron is converting all of their, you know, held cash to, to Bitcoin, right? So there's, that adds volatility to the value of those companies and the stock market is a reflection of that. Uh, there's at least their stock value. And so as you, st- and these are not small companies I'm talking about, right? What's Tesla's like, what the number seven, eight company in the S&P, 10, it might even yeah, be more. For sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, the fact that part of their profitability is now tied to the value of the assets on their books, which includes Bitcoin, adds in risk to the S&P 500 from those companies. And so, you know, it's part of the reason why I know we were having a conversation earlier just you know our investment committee, which you're a part of, um, like, hey, you know the VIX isn't going to go below 15 because there's some inherent volatility just waiting. We think crypto is one of those things. Uh, obviously, what's going on with Fed and inflation is another one, and, and where the market is trading is another one. But all of those things being said, you have to just assume now that crypto has made its way into stock prices indirectly, and you know it could even make its way in more directly. With you know the newly released ETFs, there's a handful of ETFs that are out there now that are they're ETFs, they're not ETNs, they're not like grayscale. They are I think Valkyrie has one, and of course uh, ProShares has one. Um, Those ETFs now are assets, right? They're not part of the S&P 500, but now it's hey, this is a security, right? The SEC and FINRA have said this is a security. You can invest in this, and it's one of those things that as Uh, all of that seeps its way into the market. It's a new asset class that can cause risk that will ripple throughout the rest of the market. You know, let's just say an individual investor thinks, well, I really, I really want to get behind Bitcoin and they put half their money into this Bitcoin ETF, right? When that sells off and gosh, let's hope they didn't even do it on margin. They're going to be forced to sell other things. And so You know, this is not, I'm not saying anything that's brand new, right? When there's a problem in one part of your portfolio, the way you pay for it is by selling the stuff that doesn't have a problem. And if that stock's great, then it just gets reflected that way. So it is definitely seeping its way in, not only on balance sheets, but also in the trading of the individual investor. Uh, It's just seeping its way into the rest of the market. It's something we have to watch now.
0: It's reducing, those ETFs are reducing friction. So economics, we think about friction as, uh, an impediment or a barrier to something. And so uh, Amazon reduced friction for, for buying things. You don't have to go in your car and go to the mall or, or, you know, even around the holidays. And Jay, you and I are familiar with uh was it? Garden State Plaza and Paramus Park. I mean, you, you had to park in another state to get to the Garden State Plaza in New Jersey around the holidays. It was, you had to park so far away. So I, I think that reducing friction, certainly making it easier for someone within their existing brokerage count to go and and, and include that that asset, um, yeah, I think it's going to bring marginal buyers or marginal people interested in that asset off the sidelines for sure.
1: Which, which they'll, will add to the volatility of their own portfolio.
0: Speaking of volatility, Jay, uh, and putting aside the crypto discussion for now, although we'll Probably most likely have more to say on that at a later date., uh, the Fed announced a tapering, and so when we say taper, it doesn't mean that they're raising interest rates or they're uh, eliminating all of their uh, their bond purchases, both in the MBS, mortgage-backed securities and then treasuries. Uh, I believe they said what it was a reduction of ten billion a month in treasuries and five billion a month in MBS. So it's much like a government budget; it never go, it hasn't gone down, just reduced the the amount of acceleration. Um, Jay, I don't know if this is a. I, I tend to think it's less of a big deal based upon the the size of the of the balance sheet now. Um, plus, they're doing so much. Well, actually, let let me stop there and see if you have any thoughts around that. Yeah, I
1: so i think this was pretty well uh communicated ahead of time the market didn't seem to have a bad reaction to it at all um listen rates going up and although you're absolutely correct tapering doesn't mean rates are going up it just means they're going to be a little less dovish a little less accommodative than they were in previous months um so this has been and that's that's great it just by the way they're still accommodating they're still purchasing right they're still Buying bonds to help spur you know an economic recovery, right? It seems silly to say that, considering where the the market is, right? I think we touched another all- time high today I think almost every day this past week we touched an all- time high um you know when you when you when you think about the taper aspect, it is a precursor to raising rates right it's you wouldn't be you know tapering or sorry, you wouldn't be buying bonds at the same time that you are. Raising rates, right? It seems like you know. Don't do one and then offset it the other way. So you kind of got to, you know, taper down, reduce down your purchases down to nothing, and then you could start raising rates. That seems to be what's been communicated. I don't sit in the, the Fed, so I don't know exactly what they're going to do. But what they've told us is we're going to taper first. We're not at the point of talking about raising rates. But this first step was well received by the market, I believe, uh, and uh, and it was well communicated ahead of time.
0: The other thing, and and I, this is one of those things that I think I'm surprised no one's talking about, and it's the the reverse the Fed's activity in the the overnight reverse repo market. Um, for anyone, I'll, I'll put a link to an episode I did on that. Um, people seem to like that one, but basically, it's you have all these money market funds who can't hold cash, so they got to go out and buy typically really short duration paper, like uh, you know. talking in the bill market uh, with treasuries. And there was such demand that the Fed saw that rates actually went negative on the really short end of the curve for a small amount of time. And so they're doing these overnight reverse repos. And and I think they're at eight basis points right now. So they sort of set a floor in the short end market. Jay, they were at $1.3 I think, the other day. So I bring that up because I feel like there's a lot of demand still for really short-term paper, and so even though the Fed is is dialing back a little bit on their their monthly purchases, um, I mean there's plenty of demand on on the short end. So even if the Treasury has is issuing more bills, I feel like that will be be scooped up. Um, but look, what what the heck do I know? Right, I'm just. Uh, <laughs> It almost seems
1: sometimes that the reverse repo rate is its own little universe, right? And and I understand its importance, but it hasn't had an impact, even though we're at kind of historic levels here, uh, you know, past, there's a, there's a T now involved with trillions. Um, that's never happened before. It, it hasn't, to me, it hasn't been the thing that has been pushing, uh, say, the 10-year price around very much. I think it's something to watch for, the fact that they have to continue to do that. It also might have to be, have to do with the fact, Derek, that there's just so much more money out there, right? I mean, connect for me, like the M2 money supply, right, which is kind of how much people have in bank accounts and brokerages with the repo market. Like, do you see a relationship there that, you know, as the money supply increases, that reverse repo market's got to continue to rise as well?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, we don't want to, uh, I need five hours to really disentangle all this, but in <laughs> in 10 seconds. Let's not do yeah. that. 10 seconds. Yeah, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Our, our Netherlands, uh, listeners and Denmark listeners would all be gone at this point, but, uh, If we haven't lost no. yet, you know, we will
1: soon.
0: <laughs> but no, I, I, I think you're right on, on a, on a, you know, high level. Yeah. I mean, if, if there's more money in, especially in money markets, right. Um, and some, some of those, uh, those asset classes. Yeah. I mean, there's more money hunting for a home, which says there's, in theory, it tells me there's a shortage of, of treasuries, especially on, on the short end so yeah jay i I think that's right and yeah
1: so let's tie it back to the tapering then right so as so they have to stop buying right i mean they're essentially buying up right the assets that are out there so as they come off uh you know what 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 the logical to me what's logical and this, this is not what's happened in the market but what happens is hey as you lose your biggest buyer um of these assets you have you know the market should be Uh, uh, it either needs to a step up or the price is going to go down, right? If people are regularly selling here because they're forced to, uh, uh, you know, be engaged in the, in the bond market, if you're regularly selling to the Fed and now they're no longer there, right? Wouldn't you think that bonds themselves would go down a little bit, right? Now that hasn't been the case, but maybe, maybe talk us through a little bit about, you know, when the Fed is buying bonds, you know, you know how that helps support bond prices maybe that's just way too obvious right but maybe like dig into that just for a second derek
0: yeah well i think on on a high level right it's it's supply and demand so uh, and and bonds as we've talked about before have an inverse relationship it's the seesaw so bond prices up yields down bond prices down yields up and the idea is if if you have a lot of buying of bonds uh that should push bonds higher which pushes yields lower and so the general feeling is if if the Fed steps back from that and you take away a marginal buyer or a piece of the marginal buyers in the market for those bonds, then demand goes down a little bit, and yield should go up because prices should fall. But I think what I'm seeing is that on especially, and this is really the short end now, um, and it doesn't you know, the treasury can issue three month bills, they can issue, one year you know uh, uh, bills they can issue short term bonds but i think on the very short end there is more demand than there is supply and i think that's why we've seen that repo market uh, if not for the repo market i think rates would be much uh, well they'd be negative on on the very very short end but look i mean i i think thinking about the markets and thinking about bonds, none of what I'm saying, or certainly I'm, um, I'll speak for you for a second, or, or you are speculating about, you know, we are historians of the market and we have a very big interest in the market. We have opinions, but none of this really impacts anything we're doing, let's say, what strategies we're running with, uh, you know, with real money. Um, so a lot of this is conjecture. And, and I'll be honest, I mean, um, my my thought is that historically, Rates rise into the expectation of announcement of a taper, and then they start to come down once the taper happens. Kind of a, kind of like earnings, Jay, where you sell the what is it? Sell the rumor, buy the news. I'm totally getting that wrong. But,
1: uh, <laughs> it's 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 buy the rumor, sell the news. Yeah, oh, right? there you go. That's, I knew. It. <laughs> that, yeah, you got it. But well, that's actually what has happened, right? Rates ran up leading into the Fed meeting. I don't know if you see this as we're recording this podcast right now. The ten years at. You know 145 1.45 percent. that is down significantly from where it was just two weeks ago And i believe you lost a little bit of a wager where we saw one point almost 1.7 percent right so so your point of hey you want you leading in they run up you come out of these kind of announcements they pull back a little bit on yields however you know i i, I will add to your point of how uh you know, this is more conjecture, but it does matter when, we, how we build portfolios to clients, right. Uh, for clients, like there today, someone walks in your door, uh, what percentage are you allocating towards bonds? Even if it's in ingre- investment grade bonds, how much are you putting in that kind of an allocation today, virtually nothing, right. I don't want to, maybe I should speak for you. I hope that's the case. Virtually nothing.
0: Yeah. Right? I and mean, it is, so- and, yeah, agree. Go ahead, Jay, and then I'll- I mean, I'll,
1: there's I'll, some scenarios where, where it's appropriate, but with the prospect of rates normalizing, which in this case means higher, um, it's hard to invest in a, long, in a long period of time in bonds. And so while this is an interesting discussion, it does impact the way that you and I build portfolios, the way we manage our strategies. We don't really want a lot of straight up bond exposure, right? We need alternatives for the role that bonds used to play without pitching our stuff too hard, my apologies to anybody that hasn't heard it before or has heard it over time, there's a better way to manage risk than using bonds. There are other ways of generating income than using bonds, period.
0: No, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, and I think it's one of the reasons why we use synthetics when it comes to the bond market. We're, you know, synthetically creating the income, but, but limiting the risk. Um, I agree, I mean, because on... When you look at where yields are today, let's say if, if you were going to buy that 10-year treasury you just quoted me, next 10 years, you're going to get 1.45%. Well, uh, let's assume for a second, and that's maybe a discussion for another day, but inflation stays above 1.45% per year. You are losing purchasing power each and every year you hold that bond. And you know the risk to the upside on that bond, if, if rates rise materially... It's, you know, for every 100 p- basis point move, you would expect in that bond to lose, you know, roughly 8.5, 8.9%, maybe 9%. Um, you know, the calculation is, I'm, I'm doing a calculation in my head. But yeah, and if rates go from one four five to, you know, to 3.45. I mean, that would be on a standard deviation basis. That that type of reduction in the price of that tenure year would, would be great. And at the same time, as we great know- Great in a we bad just, way. Uh, great in a bad way. Yeah, like it would, <laughs> be, a great, it would be a great- High magnitude, bad way. It would be a great big deal. How's that? <laughs> there you go. But like, you know, is there is there a scenario, and I, I can give you one, but the, is there a scenario where, where rates go to, um, you know, negative- 65 basis points on the 10 year. I mean, it's, you know, that, that's sort of what you would need for the same magnitude of, you actually need a little bit less, but that's a, that's a convexity thing. But, but yeah, to, to your point, Jay, I mean, it's bonds. The risk is to upside in rates. The benefit of a reduction in rates is not as great. I would say right now.
1: And, and let's say it takes a long time for the bonds to actually normalize and go up, which seems to be the most likely way of being wrong in the thesis that rates are going up, right? So if you think rates are going to go up over the next two, three, four, five years, and you're wrong, the most likely result is that they were flat, right? Going negative seems extremely unlikely in the US. Uh, and so I you know, I, I understand why it is in other, other uh, economies, but in the United States, that seems... Extremely unlikely. So the the risk of being what is the risk here of being wrong? It's continuing to lose money against inflation. Fine. Maybe your bond didn't lose value and you're still at the 145 in three years from now. Right. But you still lost value against inflation. Right. Your real yield has turned out to be a problem for you. Right. You've lost your buying power has been reduced. And so it's you know, the thesis is, well, bonds are going to lose value. So you're that's bad. Or, if, you know, the most likely you know, wrong answer against that is that you'll still lose value because you're only getting 1.45% payment on that 10-year bond. Also seems like a bad idea, right? So, you know, it's unless there's rare situations, you know, it's not our go-to solution for investors that have a goal over the next five to 10 years.
0: I think there's been uh, some academic papers and if if I, I don't know if I'll find it in time to put it in the show notes, but I think I think over a long period of time, your total return, on the holding period of a bond is pretty much, uh, you know, whatever the the yield to maturity is when you buy it. So if the yield to maturity is one four five for the next ten years, historically, according to some academics, that's about what you would you would get on an annualized basis. And to your point, if inflation unless inflation dips below one four five, uh, that is a negative real return um, on on the pro side of bonds because. I want to be clear, you know, I'm not saying neither is to saying, you know, take a short position on bonds, take a long position on bonds. You got to think about the risk. But but look, uh, you know, bonds worked in 2020, 2020, yeah, uh, 2020, because rates dropped so far. Uh, so they worked. And, you know, those who still sing the praises of the 60-40 portfolio could point to that. Uh, Jay, transitioning, though, to the other news of the week, Uh, a little bit more on inflation and a little bit more on wage growth. We did have a, I I think it's characterized as a positive jobs number today, meaning more jobs were created, and we saw some wage growth. You know, September, I forget, it was millions of people uh, came off the rolls of the enhanced unemployment. So maybe that was what was seeping into this number, Um, you know, took a little time to get folks off the sidelines. But I don't know. I mean, I know you kind of laughed a little bit when I said it was a positive, uh, positive in some ways, negative in others, right?
1: Yeah, it it is positive. I mean, it certainly beat expectations having, I think it was 531,000 new jobs created in the month of October. Uh, That was obviously a positive thing. Uh, The little bit of the negative was, well, I guess it's good for the workers. Hourly earnings went up a little bit, right? We saw a tick up in that, which is, you know, probably where we'll lead to because you started with inflation. Um, You know, and productivity, which is a number we got two days ago, uh, was really, you know, poor, right? It cost more uh, to produce what we were producing uh, uh, more, I guess it was October. It cost more to produce goods in October than it did in the previous months by something like 8%. And so, so there are good and bad pieces of this. Generally speaking, though, you know, and I... You know, the delay in the numbers when it comes out for this uh, uh, for the jobs number is kind of significant, right? I mean, it's not it doesn't measure all of October. And I think you're um, accurate to point out that in September, a lot of folks rolled off of the government uh, support that they might have been getting with stimulus checks and those types of things. Uh, I think that is what we're seeing right now. Just some of that rolling off. People had to go back to work. Um, but there's still a lot of job openings still left to fill to get back to pre-COVID levels, right? Something like 4 million openings still, you know, are out there that that uh, just to get us back to that point. So, you know, all that being said, I think generally the market is accept, accepting this as, you know, a good number. Um, but, you know, is it's I, I don't think we were all that surprised by it, right? Is that fair to say?
0: I don't think we should be surprised by it, given... The change in the uh the government programs right i mean it just goes uh, if if you if you don't have that same amount of money coming in anymore wouldn't the next step at some point either say okay i've got to go uh, take one of these positions or um my savings is running out from you know all the excess stuff but i think the the productivity thing is really interesting It, it didn't get talked about and so, by the way, productivity for anyone in the audience who's unfamiliar with that, it's uh, the technical economics quote unquote definition. It measures output per unit of input, such as labor, capital, or other resources. So, it's, um, uh, and another way to look at it is uh, comparing GDP to um, hours worked. So, it's like you work an hour, like what are you producing? Oh, okay. Last month you produced X and this month it's down. And that's what happened, Jay. I don't think that was talked about enough, to be honest with you.
1: I I agree. And, you know, there there could be a a couple of things that it means. The first thing could be like, hey, we had a bunch of new people come take up jobs and people that start a job aren't as productive as people that have been in a job for three or four years. It could be that. Um, Or it could be it's just a little more expensive now to produce what we used to produce because wages are also a little higher it could mean that as well uh you know so there's there's a lot of different ways to kind of read into it uh, i was surprised at the lack of kind of uh, uh attention that it got of course it is not you know that, that number seems to move quite a bit and uh it's more of you got to watch for the trend on this but it was kind of a eight percent higher you know productivity costs month over month you know has to take you back a little
0: bit the other thing i i think uh i'll mention quickly is you know, if, if I was grabbing the back of an envelope or a napkin and explaining what, what's something to watch for to see if inflation is going to continue, I would look at what are people making versus uh, or, or what's the growth in wages versus the growth or the inflation number. And if nothing else, you would say, OK, if people keep making more than prices have gone up, demand should continue. But if wages start to not keep up with the pace of inflation, you would say, well at some point inflation will wane and I think you're right jada to, to to look at that wage growth because um, it it has been it has been moving higher and I think it's outpacing inflation of late I could be wrong on that but that would sort of uh, go you know support the narrative of look I mean yeah prices are higher but but people have more money, maybe.
1: I think you said it. I think you got it. Um, I, <laughs> I would say in general, it's good. More people are going back to work. I think in general, it's good that people are uh, uh, you know, getting employed. There certainly doesn't seem to be a lack of job opportunities, but I do think it comes down to the opportunity you want versus the one you take. Uh, I think because folks have a little more savings these days, they may be holding out for a better job. They may be using this as an opportunity to kind of move up in the, the skill set, right? And so that may be another reason why it's taking so long uh, uh, for the, you know, for all of these job openings to get filled, because maybe people are holding out for a better job, right? And, uh, you know, so I think there's some of that that's going on. The other thing I'll throw out there, somebody, I don't know who I was talking to. Someone said, well, oh, I've I, I just, I've. Kind of become my own, you know, my own boss, right? I'm kind of doing my own stuff. I've, I've left, you know, the corporate jobs, and I've started my own little business, right? I think we've seen some of that uh, happen as well. Uh, You know, less reliance on the companies that cut you because of COVID, and more reliance on yourself. As to, you know, entrepreneurial guys, I think we can appreciate that. I think there's some of that going on here as well, especially with, you know, a lot of the technology solutions and the advancement that we've seen, uh, certainly in the adoption of you know, technology solutions to make it easier for the individual to launch their own business. So, you know, I think some of that will will start to play itself out uh, as well, Derek, right? So either improving who you work for or working for yourself.
0: You know, it's it's an excellent point. And and people should remember, you know, these, this economic data and the employment numbers specifically, it's sort of survey and sample data that gets extrapolated out. And I, I'm glad you said that because I've had people I've talked to as well, say, look, you know, I'm trying to start a business or something. And I, I, is that really captured? Like, are those people considered unemployed or are they considered working? Uh, The reality is, and and don't get me started about unemployment numbers, but, you know, if if you, if somebody uh, stops looking for long enough for a job, they're no longer considered unemployed. Based upon the headline number, it, you know, you have to be out of work and be actively looking for work to be in that numerator, denominator type thing. But right. anyway, last thing, Jay, I thought I'd bring up. is interesting, you know, the market crested. Do we really crest 4,700 today? I guess we did, didn't we?
1: Yeah, we did. 4,718 was the top today. Forty Friday, November 5th.
0: Yeah. So I, I always go back to if you just did. And there's not, I, I'm not holding, It's nothing against CNBC because they all do it. But if you went back and you click through, you did a random search for a random week over the last 10 years uh, or less, whatever, you would find some article that says, hey, we're on the verge of a major crash, sell out of everything, buy, you know, soap and soup and build a bunker. And they've, they've all been wrong. I mean it's just it just it, it time and time again like I feel like that advice is not great advice and, it, and <laughs> well, I'm just going to say it's hard say for it, that right? to
1: be right when just generally speaking, I mean yes but that sells eyeballs and 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 earlobes what do you, what, what do you say when you say it people attracts
0: <laughs> eye lobes attracts ears and eyes
1: yeah, thanks. Thanks for yeah, correcting. That, me. There you That's go. good. So, but you're right. And when you know, if their ratings are higher when people are fearful that people are like, I need information. When portfolios are at all-time highs, are you are you tuned in, besides you know, you and I, are we tuned in to watching what's going on in the financial markets? No. You're a little more complacent there and you're facing the other troubles you have uh in your life. So you know it's you're right derek it's it's almost irresponsible but it's this this is not something new that you're pointing out uh this has always always been uh uh the case and it's also the case why we've always said stay invested right i uh i was uh in a discussion with uh, some folks yesterday and you know if you just if you were trying to market time and you happen to miss the worst two days of the year each year over the last 10 years or 20 years, your returns would be negative in the greatest bull market in history, right? So market timing is hard. Oh, and by the way, you know, when the best days of the year are, Derek, most of the time. I know. Right after, right after the worst days, right. <laughs> so it's when everybody's running for cover and selling their stuff is exactly the the next day is usually the best one, right? And not usually, but it, but it's a high percentage of the time it's in the, the top. It's you know it's in the top five days of the year, and so it's just one of those things that you know for us it's always been the exact opposite of. Of, you know, of what you're hearing in the media about run for cover, you should be careful. Listen, those guys are going to be right one of these days, but they've been wrong up until this point. And it's just, it's, it's, it's not, it's, gosh, I don't want to say it's not rocket science. It's not the hardest thing in the world to realize that if you could stay invested over time, the market rewards you for doing that. Now, I don't think, Derek, we would say, you know, you should always just be in the most volatile thing you could be in and go. We're all about limiting risk and being protected, which gives you the wherewithal to stay invested. But, you know, the, if you had to pick one trend, the market goes up or the market goes down, and you had to guess which one of those two sides to be on, you should be on the side that the market goes up more often than it goes down.
0: If markets really were random, like some books have been written on, when you did a random price generator, there would be every bit of chance to go down and go up, but if you want to get your lines to look like the market, you have to program in an upward bias. And markets are are you know price isn't necessarily random like that. There is an upward bias, and yeah, I mean it, to me, it's just just buy and hedge. Imagine that.
1: Imagine good book up, what a, what a good concept. Book, by the way.
0: Good book, thank by you, the way, thank yeah. you.
1: You could find it on Amazon. It's a great Thanksgiving <laughs> gift if you're thinking about giving oh, it Adds, yeah. it's the broken pie chart. Wonderful.
0: Yeah, well, you know this is great. You just you show up to somebody's house, bring uh, bring the bring the appetizers and and some books over. They'll appreciate it. All right, they well. will.
1: They will. I, somebody last <laughs> night asked me for my book
0: randomly. Nice.
1: So you could go buy it on Amazon. It's right there. You could do it on your phone. <laughs> There's a Kindle version. Knock yourself out.
0: Well, before we leave, I'll just clean up uh, for uh, – I, I, Netherlands and Denmark, right, are uh, two different countries. Uh, they are. They're both in Europe. Denmark is in the Baltic Sea, while the Netherlands lies to the west of Denmark. Um, Netherlands, I believe, is synonymous with, uh, with Holland. But uh, – and Copenhagen is in Denmark. Copenhagen in Denmark. True. That's
1: true. Sure. It's true. I've been uh, to Copenhagen. Yeah, Wonderful city. Where Holland
0: or or the Netherlands has Amsterdam as its capital city. So uh, there you go. But yes, we do have listeners from the Netherlands and Denmark as well. And we appreciate those as well as others. Uh, finally, I'll just mention, uh, I have yet to get a listener from uh, the country of Gibraltar, which is, uh it's not with the relate there's a relationship with england but if if you are from gibraltar and are listening uh send me a note and i will send you a sign book but uh it's the the never-ending plea for the gibraltians to come through for the broken pie Jar podcast jay
1: it's an important demographic derek and i think it's it's worth you know the regular communication
0: i i agree all right jay well thanks for coming on again and i know we'll have you back on uh shortly if not uh Uh, before then we seem to always get you on the odd numbers like you're never at the maybe episode 150 will actually schedule which would be about what nine weeks eight weeks from now Uh, so that would be end of year beginning year but we'll have you on before then so jay thanks again for uh for the time and uh, appreciate the conversation
1: always great to be here Derek. thanks so
0: much